Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and today we're talking about brain training for peak performance. Because when training your mind becomes as important as pitching, hitting, and throwing, you can take your athletes to the next level. Whether you're new to the podcast or have been with us for a while, you know we have to train the mental game more. Just like we work on how to get our feet and hands to do what we want them to, we also have to train our brains to perform more effectively and efficiently as well. Today we discuss how brain training helps athletes build proactive confidence, learn how to focus on what's important, and play in the zone more often. Today's guest is the co-founder of Launch Peak Performance and a brain training expert. He and his wife saw a need for mental performance training, so they decided to fill the gap themselves. They combined their own professional experiences in HR and counseling and added in certificates in mental performance coaching as well as neurofeedback training. To hear more about what they do to train the brain and help athletes get to the next level, please welcome Sam Hale. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with, you told me a little bit before about how you got into this. So tell me about your son's journey with the mental game and how you guys found mental performance and neurofeedback. Sure. Well, uh, so for my son, he is an athlete. He's primarily a basketball player and was having fairly good success uh, early in his high school career. And then uh, at some point, he seemed to hit a roadblock, and we couldn't figure out why. His his confidence was there, but I think he was dealing with a lot of negative self-talk and, and was having trouble um, c- kind of forcing his body to, to try and, and, and make a shot. And, and as you know, with any athlete, once you start forcing your body, the things that you want to have happen don't really happen. So mm-hmm. we searched high and low for somebody within our, our area, our region, who had knowledge, not from a therapeutic standpoint necessarily, but for somebody who can come uh, at this from, a, from an athletic, from a mental game aspect. And really, we could not find anybody. So um, we uh, found uh, an individual by the name of Dr. Patrick Cohn, who uh, has his own practice for uh, developing um, uh, mental game coaching for athletes. And mm-hmm. we were able to utilize many of the tools and strategies that, that Dr. Cohn uh, in his, in his um, company have created to help my son really get back into his game, his true self. And I was able to get certified through Dr. Cohn as well. And so we're using and sharing those same strategies and tools for all of our athletes that we work with across the country. Ah, oh, that's so exciting. All right, I am going to go ahead and dive right in because we got a lot of coaches listening. Some athletes, I just learned, one of our uh, friends has her daughter listen. So she'll be nice. learning on this too. Uh, tell us some of the things that you see with your athletes that you kind of help them blast through. What roadblocks are they they dealing with? Sure. Well, a majority of the athletes that that we've been working with, um, really, they come in initially due to to confidence. Um, Either they don't feel like they can take their practice game into a a real game time situation. Uh, There's some sort of of, of roadblock there for them at some point. And when we can uh, sit down with them and have them fill out our our sports assessment, really what we identify are, are a few common things, one of them being confidence. They just seem to lack the the confidence in themselves and trusting in their skills and abilities. Uh, When there's no pressure in a practice type situation, you know, they can, they can play freely and, and at ease. 
But for some reason, when you get them into actual game time situation, they tend to clench up a little bit. So we work with athletes on helping them, A, develop a trust in their skills and abilities. And by uh, improving, increasing their proactive confidence so that they don't have to have a good warm up or a good uh, time or, or good opportunity in the batting cage or in the pitcher's box. But once they get to the game, once they get to the field, they're ready to go because they know that they've demonstrated these skills uh, in the in the days and the weeks and the months leading up to that particular day. Ah, oh, I love that. We talk about it as uh, like that's the real confidence versus the feeling confident, which uh, we all know. Some days you just feel it. <laughs> yes, I love that you called it proactive confidence. Can you tell us a little bit more about what goes into building that type of confidence? Sure. Uh, really, Melanie, one of the first things we do is we sit down with the athlete and we have them come up with a confidence resume. We're really, we have them list out, just like you would, uh, you know, a job resume, list out all of their accomplishments, all of the things that they have done to enable them to get themselves to where they're at today. And that can be as small as, you know, 10 hours of practice last week. I mean, depending upon the athlete and really how old they are, the age group that they're in. We really want to get as much detail as we can to find out, you know, what have you done to get to where you're at now? Uh, obviously, if, if we're talking with them, they're a serious athlete. So they've had some accomplishments in their career, maybe not individual accomplishments, but at least through game and, and through team accomplishments they have. So we really have them write it down. And sometimes it can be a page and a half. Sometimes it can be six pages. It really, again, depends upon the athlete. But once once the athlete writes it down and realizes hey, I can do this. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've been able to achieve. Uh, that confidence resume is a great way for them to, to remember that they can trust in their skills and abilities because they have proven uh, that, that they belong where they're at today. And the flip side of that, we also create a list of confidence killers. What are those things mm -hmm. that if it happens during a game time situation that really you know, erodes or destroys that confidence. So we list those things down as well. Again, could be a page, page and a half, could be three pages, depending upon the athlete. And then what we do is spend time with that athlete, athlete and create rebuttals so that when a confidence mm. killer happens, here's how I'm going to react or respond. And so, uh, you know, we have, uh, we develop these things before it happens so that when, when it does actually happen during game time, uh, it becomes a non-issue for that athlete. I love that. And I think that's the biggest reason why I always loved, like, give me a worksheet, give me something to like write down, fill out, because when you have the time and space, it's so much easier to process through that, whereas it's way too fast in the game to deal with. And if you don't have these tools yes. or this proof that you've given yourself, then it's really hard to deal with in that moment. Absolutely. And, and the way that... that and the way that we're set up is that we spend usually anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes per week with the athlete, just talking through mm -hmm. these ideas, these concepts. And then we give them homework. We actually give them worksheets. Mm. We actually give them eBooks. We give them things that they can then uh, take back with them and incorporate them into their normal everyday routine, whether that's practice, whether that's training, whether that's actual game time. And then when we come back around the following week, we say, okay, what worked, what didn't work? And then we adjust and, and tweak accordingly from there. That's super cool. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. But I want to go back before we get too far <laughs> away to the confidence killers. So for coaches, uh, 
in the heat of the moment in the game, what are some things that we can do to either kind of help prevent those confidence killers or help the athletes deal with them in the moment? Well, you know, it's great if, if, if the coaches know exactly what the confidence killers are for their individual kids. And I know mm-hmm. that's not always possible, especially when you have a large team, you know, when you've got 12, 15, 18 uh, athletes that you're, that you're you know, responsible for, maybe you don't, you don't have a time to get that deep dive down with all of those athletes. But probably the number one recommendation that I have for the coaches is make sure you're modeling the right behavior. Um, mm. When something goes wrong, the kid is going to beat themselves up or the athlete is going to beat themselves up just as much, if not more, than, than we could as coaches. So mm-hmm. um, with that in mind, when you do address that athlete or that player during game time situations, know that they are beating themselves up on the inside uh, much more than you could do. Oh, for sure. I was that kid. Like I didn't, I didn't <laughs> ever mind if someone yelled at me because I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. I've already said yeah. that in my head. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now I want to get back to this homework. So what are some things that you give your players to do at practices and in games? What are some examples? Sure. So some of the strategies that we provide our, our athletes, um, so one is for staying in the now or staying focused during game time situations. Um, a lot of our athletes can get highly distractible depending upon, again, what the situation is. I actually had an athlete I was talking to that said that he gets distracted by the referee's tennis shoes. Yeah. Um, if they're, he's just watching, he just, he's looking at the shoes. He wants to know, well, how, where did he get those? How did he get those? Why did he get that brand? What, I mean, these, these thoughts that just go through these athletes' heads sometimes. Um, so one of the tools that we give them is known as what we call the three R's. First thing you need to do is recognize whenever you're not mentally where you're supposed to be at. So mm-hmm. once you recognize that, then you need to regroup. And then once you regroup, you need to refocus. Now, depending mm-hmm. upon the sport that you play, that could take several seconds or that should take a millisecond or, or, or half a second. Uh, because mm-hmm. during, obviously during a basketball type situation, you don't have time to, you know, physically pause for three seconds in order to regroup and, and, and refocus on where you're supposed to be at. So again, just like going to the gym, you know, and I've tried this, Melanie, you can't go to the gym three times and expect to have a six pack of abs. Uh, <laughs> Come on. That's how so, I was expecting it. <laughs> I, I know it just hasn't happened yet. So these exercises, these tools that we give the athletes, they do something they do need to incorporate and, and work into their everyday. So that it becomes a habit for them. Um, and you know, uh, not everybody's going to get it immediately the first time around. And so that's why we kind of follow up with them with, through the homework, through the various exercises to make sure that they really understand when to incorporate the three R's, uh, for refocusing on, on their task at hand. Ah, that's a good one. I love that. I think I first learned that from Revisa. (laughs) It stuck with me because it's Revisa's R's. Yes. (laughs) Ah, the late great. So what are some other things that we coaches can do a better job of? What are some things that you hear the athletes talk about that we can kind of make some oopses on, even though I know all of us coaches mean well, but sometimes we can interrupt the athlete's performance just as much as the referee's shoes. <laughs> sure. You know, um, and again, it depends upon the athlete. Sometimes 
yelling is an attention getter. Sometimes yelling uh, turns them into a ball of clay. And so, Mm -hmm. again, that's really where the coach really needs to be uh, in tune and attuned to their various athletes to know which buttons you really need to push in order to get the best performance out of that particular athlete. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't treat every athlete the same as much as we've heard that uh, and, and, and people say that you can. You really can't because each one is a different person and each one has different motivations as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. So just be cognizant and and aware of of the athlete that you have and know which buttons are the appropriate buttons to push for them. Um, You know, we were talking about, about confidence. Oftentimes I've seen, and I've done it myself as a coach, where, you know, we'll teach an athlete how to, properly throw a ball. We'll teach the athlete how to properly catch a ball, but rarely do we teach the athlete how to be confident when they play. Rarely do mm-hmm. we teach, teach the athlete on how to focus on uh, specific um, performance cues or focus cues during the game time situation. And so that's probably what I would, I would recommend or suggest for the coaches is identify, okay, as a pitcher, what three or four things should you be focused on and nothing else? As a third baseman, what two or three things should you be focused on and nothing else? And really teach those athletes what they should be doing in their particular role so that when pressure time or crunch time comes, um, uh, you know, they know exactly what they should be doing. Yes, you are preaching to the choir here. I bet all of our listeners are nodding their heads like, yep, trying to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's what we preach all the time. That fits perfectly with our like whole way of doing things. Like we talk about it all the time and we tell all the players they should be confident. I don't know how many times I heard stop being so hard on yourself. And in my head, I'm thinking, ah, I would, I would like to, um, <laughs> but someone well, teach me how. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are some things that coaches can do to take the stuff that you teach your athletes and bring it into practice? Because that's another thing we found is even if, even if the coach themselves does a great job or hires someone or um, somebody else comes in and they learn all these things, if they don't apply them to that specific, uh, I guess, skill, like you're talking about with game specific focus and having certain things you look at for each position, it doesn't translate in the game. (laughs) You can do all this great work. That was one of my mistakes in coaching was we would do mental training as a separate thing the beginning of the week and then never again. (laughs) So what are some ways that coaches can incorporate it without feeling like they have to add hours of classroom time and separate sessions, that kind of thing? Sure. Well, a lot of it can be, you know, similar to the way we do it. Uh, It doesn't have to necessarily be at, at, um, uh, you know, at your, your practice time or at your game time, because we know that, again, that, that time that you have with the athlete can be very precious. So give them assignments to work on on their own. Uh, give them, uh, you know, talk about the, the confidence resume. Tell, task your, your, your athletes to write down three or four things that they feel great uh, through, through their given sport. You know, why do they play softball? What is it that, that attracted them to softball? Uh, what's their motivation to continue to play? And that can be a very eye-opening question as well, Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. especially with, uh, you know, um, a lot of these um, kiddos that that sometimes played sports just for the participation trophies and and how when Mm -hmm. the participation trophies stop, sometimes their motivation stops uh, wanting to play as well. 
so make sure they're playing for the right reasons. But again, to ask your athletes to do some 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 at home, some away from the field um, uh, thinking, so that they have an idea of what it is that they want to do with their with their athletic career for them. And one other thing that I would mention is we do encourage our, our athletes to have have mental breaks. You know, life can't be all about softball 24-7. Um, it's great if you have another hobby. Um, hobbies are great. Some of my athletes, their hobbies is playing video games or watching movies. Mm-hmm. And so carve out some time in, in your week as an athlete to have some downtime. Not only does your body need the recuperation, but so does your mind. Your brain needs that rest as well. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. And shoot, same as adults. A lot of the coaches that we talk to are going straight from their nine to five to helping out at practice to going home and helping their kids and doing homework and then restart again in the morning. (laughs) So I think it's the same thing for the adults as well for modeling like you were talking about earlier. Absolutely. Burnout is a real thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have all gotten to that point. Um. So now I want to transition into what I think is something that's like underutilized is neurofeedback. Can you tell mm-hmm. the listeners a little bit about what it is and how you use it? Sure. So uh, neurofeedback is um, is a practice that we utilize uh, in, in my um, at Launch Peak Performance to help with, um, specifically with athletes, to help with with anxiety, to help with um, making sure that uh, their mind is is performing at its peak performance. My wife and I first heard of neurofeedback probably probably six years ago when our daughter was highly anxious to a point where she always thought somebody was following her when she was coming home. So she would literally drive four or five miles out of the way, make all these left and right turns to make sure there's nobody following her. And we tried the medication route and that just didn't work. The side effects were horrible. And so uh, just kind of um, uh, on a lark, my wife heard about somebody here in town that offered neurofeedback. And uh, we were able to send her to neurofeedback and the results were amazing. She no longer had anxiety uh, when it came to driving. She never had to take a pill, and uh, the the results from neurofeedback is is permanent. There's no reason to go back for a refresher at any time. Once your brain learns and knows what it's supposed to be, the the the, the type of performance it's supposed to be doing, uh, then it continues to do that uh, for duration until you change it again if you want to. So uh, for us, it was uh, a very eye-opening experience. My wife went ahead and got her certification, and so now we're able to offer it through um, through um, Launch Peak Performance. That's amazing. I hear so many coaches talk about athletes who are dealing with anxiety, and they honestly just are at a loss for what to do. And though I will ask you to dig into a little more, disclaimer: you need to get certified <laughs> if you want to teach yes. neurofeedback. You're losing the machines and doing all the good stuff. Um, that make it actually train the brain. But tell me a little bit more about how it helps athletes and some of the ways that you've helped athletes overcome other things like this. Sure. Uh, so what, one of the athletes, again, a basketball player that we had, uh, we were able to utilize neurofeedback to help him uh, with, with pressure situations, specifically when it comes to mm. free throws. Um, he was able to to transition from 
from being uh, an, an average free throw shooter to being the top free throw shooter for the team by the end of the wow. season. And it's just being able to have that focus on exactly what it is that, that, that you should be doing, that free throw routine, and not let, any other, not let any other distractions bother you or get in the way. And really the way the analogy my wife uses for neurofeedback is we, we're not building a new highway. The highway is already in your brain. You're born that way. But what we can do is remove some of the clutter, remove some of the traffic mm. so that you're able to, to drive or go on that highway uh, with less with less interruptions. And um, so, yeah, we've seen it with, with basketball players. We've seen it with baseball players, softball players. Uh, we've really seen where they can um, really control their, uh, their emotions, control their uh, breathing, control their, their mindset. So they were in that pressure situation, bottom of the inning with, you know, bases loaded. Um, it's a quote unquote normal opportunity for them to be successful. That's amazing. I think anyone can relate, not just to performance, but something that you know should be easy. <laughs> I should be able to do this. <laughs> I think that's the clutter you're talking about. It's so cool. And you've demonstrated day in and day out with the countless hours of practice that you've put mm-hmm. in. So it's a it's it's not a new skill that you're trying. It's something that you're relying on that you've done countless times mm-hmm. before. I love that. Because, yeah, muscle memory isn't perfect, right? <laughs> can get blocked. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is fascinating. So tell me a little more. What are your some, some of your favorite stories about some of the – I guess, transformations your clients have made and how you guys got them there. Sure. Uh, so one of my, my favorite stories, I work with uh, an individual who's a golfer and he originally came to me because he, uh, whenever he didn't make uh, the perfect shot, the shot that he expected to make, uh, he got really flustered and really frustrated mm-hmm. uh, to a point where it was almost emotional out- outbursts where he wouldn't throw his clubs, but he would... <clears throat> He would uh, uh, not be gentle with them as, as he should. I can relate. Uh, it, yeah, well, if you've seen my golf cane, me too. I like that. So I'm just short of getting uh, in but, trouble, but it's it's bubbling. Exactly, exactly. Um, but after several weeks of working with that particular golfer, not only did I have feedback from coaches, but I had feedback from his uh. teammates. I had feedback from his parents. I had feedback from other competitors of how, what's different. He's not the same, you know, normally he would do this and now he's not doing that. What's, what's different. And so being able to, to, you know, relay to them that, Hey, here's what, here's what uh, he's been doing. Here's how it's helped. And the fact that they've been able to see that improvement uh, is better than any, any commercial I could ever do. Uh, so that's been a really big, big win for us. Um, I've had another athlete, uh, football player who, uh, you know, just just was not confident with himself at all whenever he got on the football field. Uh, you know, could do it fine during practice, but just had that problem transitioning from practice to playing time. And um, he, we developed some goals. Uh, one of them was was he wanted to score sometime this season. And uh, not only did he get a starting position on the team, uh, but by the last game of the year, he had scored twice ah. for the team. 
And uh, so for, for him, he was ecstatic. Uh, his teammates were ecstatic. His coach was ecstatic because they were finally seeing the kid that they saw mm. in practice was able to demonstrate those skills on, on the playing field. And so, again, that's or some of this, you know, a few of the, the, the wins that we've had so far uh, through launch peak performance. I love that. And I love that story because how many times have you seen that kid who works so hard and their heart is in it and they're committed and they're a good teammate, but they just can't seem to get it together on game day. Like that's the type of transformation you're talking about. Absolutely. And, and I I will say that not every athlete that comes to us is is in a slump or is having, uh, you know, issues per se. Sometimes they just want to get a a competitive advantage over their competition. And so we've had numerous amount of athletes who just do it so that when they do have that crunch time situation, they're able to react instantaneously without having to put any thought behind it. And uh, that's been another successful tool that we've used with neurofeedback as well, being able to um, more quickly have those decision-making processes uh, go from from brain to body versus having go to brain Mm -hmm. to think about it. That's so cool. Do you talk to your athletes about flow? Is that kind of what you're talking about there? Yes, it is. And uh, for some of the athletes who are who uh, are old mm-hmm. enough to understand that concept flow, yes, we do talk about flow. Also, you know, in the zone, mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. kids know it as, as in the zone as well. But that's exactly what it is, getting them into that, that flow um, as quickly uh, as we can during their, their, their performance of, uh, of their sporting mm-hmm. athlete. I love that. That's one of my favorite topics but it's hard to talk about because that's like the the end goal (laughs) like there's so much else that goes before that I think that's the magic of mental performance is that you're right it's not just when you're struggling or in a slump you can always like how would would you never say yes absolutely to what if you could play free and easy and what if it was just like another day you had a ton of fun and it wasn't a a stress factory. Like who would say no to that? Exactly. Who would? Nobody exactly. would. Oh, I love it. I think that's part of the, what took, honestly, sports psych so long to come around. And we've been talking about mental game forever and we've had these tools and these skills forever, but it's just now breaking the surface because people thought, Oh, you, you go there when you're broken. It's therapy. Like, Right. Well, and I think today, in today's society, there's still mm-hmm. some stigma attached with anything mental. I mean, for 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 you know, for reasons I don't know, uh, people just aren't willing or wanting to talk about anything that, that deals with mental aspect. And you know, there are there are you know, perform or championship athletes um, in all sports across the world that utilize neurofeedback, for example, mm-hmm. um, but. Maybe one reason why they don't share that information is because they see that as kind of their 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 hidden their hidden top secret that's hidden a good gem. Point. You know, that's what gives them a competitive advantage. <laughs> I don't want to tell advantage. anybody about it. <laughs> uh, and you know, there are several athletes that are very vocal about it and are very uh, transparent, but there's still a lot of athletes that 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 don't. And um, I've been reading a book by uh, Brandon Sneed called Head in the mm. Game. And he kind of takes a, a journalistic uh, take from being a non-believer in, in, in the voodoo <laughs> that is neuro uh, neurofeedback into going full circle after doing all of his interviews and really seeing um, the advantage and, and the, uh, the the real the help that it can provide athletes. Right. Yeah, I think it's still a hidden gem. 
that it it's gonna bust out yeah. real soon. <laughs> I agree, it will. And and to your point, you know, sports psychology is still really young; it's still really in its infancy. And so, as as it becomes more and more prevalent, and uh, more and more uh, exposure, uh, I think we'll see more and more athletes uh, stepping up to the plate. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Yeah, and I think what blew my mind was yes, it is a relatively new practice, especially specifically sports psychology, but it didn't formalize about the same time as athletic training. And look how far that's come. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I am excited for work. Can you imagine a mental performance coach for every school? That'd be amazing. Well, and again, I'm hearing more and more about schools that do have somebody on staff just for Mm -hmm. mental game coaching. Um, And so uh, I think once you see, uh, you know, a lot of the big named schools, once they start getting it, I think, uh, you know, the smaller schools will have to follow suit just to be, just to stay competitive. Which is good. I like when competition does that. (laughs) Absolutely. Because I think it is, I think you and I are more on the sport performance side, but there's also the mental health side. And I think it's a really good bridge mm-hmm. between coaches and mental health. Cause I feel right now, a lot of coaches we talk to, they feel like, Oh, like I, I'm not a counselor. I didn't sign up for this. I don't know how to help. And even though they want to, cause they're in a helping profession. I think some things like this can help start those conversations and give them some tools. Even if they're dealing with something as severe as anxiety, it can give them some things to work towards and then make that leap and make the big bounds that they need. Oh, absolutely. I I agree wholeheartedly. And funny, you mentioned that I was visiting with a group of volleyball coaches a few weeks back, and one of them was telling me about her experience. Uh, She went to a major school out in California. And um, while she was there, the school uh, had identified somebody to come in once a week, once a week, to help with 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 the uh, kind of the mental aspect of of her of volleyball of that particular mm. sport, and um, the person that was you know going to be there for one week um, <laughs> after the first week, after the first day uh, she had so many so many of the athletes wanted to visit <laughs> with her that it became literally a full time job within the first week. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so. Uh, and this was, you know, this is, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, but uh, that's how much I think mm. it's needed, uh, especially at the collegiate level with our athletes, that they just have so much, especially successful mm-hmm. athletes, they carry such a burden that being able to have somebody to talk to, whether it's from a therapeutic standpoint or from a from a athletic performance standpoint, um, can really, really benefit the athlete. Absolutely agree. And like you said, I think what people miss too is how much this helps the whole community, uh, everyone there around. It helps your teammates. It helps your family. It helps your coaches because then everyone, A, sees that you're taken care of. B, they see that, okay, maybe I can take care of myself that way. And then it just becomes this snowball effect of positivity, which I love. Absolutely. I agree. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. So I want to, wrap it up and ask you to share any last things you would like, and then also tell everybody where they can learn more about launch peak performance. You bet. 
Well, the beauty of mental game coaching is that it can be done anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I have athletes from across the country. Matter of fact, uh, I had a, an athlete I just started with last night from South Carolina. Yay. So uh, you don't, you can be anywhere. Uh, we can do it uh, online sessions uh, and you can view us at our website at launchpeakperformanceok.com. That's launchpeakperformanceok, like Oklahoma.com. And um uh, with neurofeedback, uh, we don't have the technology to be able to do that remotely. Mm. So that is something that you have to go into uh, an office typically to do. Uh, there is some equipment that's very expensive that can be done remotely. Uh, but, but to your point, I would highly suggest that uh, before getting or receiving neurofeedback, that you do find a practitioner that is certified. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, there are a lot of people in my area specifically that do not have that certification that are doing it. Uh, that um, again, I would really caution all your listeners that to, to, it's a great, it's a it's a great science, it's a great tool. Just make sure you have the right person doing it, and make sure that they have uh, the um, certifications uh, that are necessary to be successful with that. Yeah, I agree. Nothing worse than going into something that should be amazing, and just because they didn't quite have the training, it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that is a wrap for today's episode. And we want to bring it all the way back to team culture. Because when talking to coach after coach at the NFCA convention, we found that almost every one of them wanted a culture that feels like family with athletes who are committed to the team and willing to do what it takes to succeed. They also all agree that the mental game gets in the way of these things. When athletes lose confidence and turn to blaming instead. Or when teammates get frustrated with each other and the root issue is that they simply don't know where the other person is coming from. Or how about when commitment wavers mid-season and all your hard work starts to slip? Well, we have the toolkit to help with this. If we want a strong culture, we have to make sure our individuals are strong. And it takes more than preaching about staying positive to effectively deal with adversity. That's why we've decided to rename our membership to the Softball Mental Training Toolkit. Because as much as these coaches want to help their athletes become stronger on and off the field, they simply lack the tools. And now you can try out all of our mental training tools for an entire week for just $1. To learn more and start your dollar trial, head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash toolkit. That is it for today. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love to help more coaches enjoy it as well. So please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.